And it's very close to the house. I live in Canal Winchester. And so uh, Grove Board's really kind of the second closest church to home. And so, as I say, it's always a joy uh, to be here. Um, as you take a look at the picture this morning, uh, this, this sermon's been brewing in my heart for a little while. It's a reminder of a couple things as I, I saw this particular photo. Because this morning I want to talk to you about steps of faith or about furthering your faith. Uh, way back in the day, I had a brother who joined the military in the early 1970s. And uh, before 1971, and then literally before 1976, you could go to Washington, D.C., and you could walk the steps to the Washington Monument. Anybody ever do that other than me? 898 steps from the bottom to the top. Uh, in 1971, they kind of stopped letting people do that because they had several people who had heart attacks along the way. And then they stopped allowing people to descend because they stopped ascending first and then descending because it was so steep. Uh, a very cool walk up, uh, elevator shaft in the middle. And then they stopped in 1976 letting anybody descend because people were falling down the stairs uh, as they were, you know, after going up and, and coming back down. And so I hadn't walked any kind of stairs like that. I mean, I'm, I'm in pretty good shape as an athlete. I try to keep my body in pretty good shape. But this past fall, my family decided, uh, we've been doing family reunions now for about, my mother died in 05, so we've been doing family reunions now for, what, 14 years, 13, 14 years. And so we always pick different places to go. So this year we went over to the Outer Bakes in North Carolina. And if you guys have ever vacationed there, you know that there's lots of lighthouses. And so we decided one day as we were traveling back from Kitty Hawk that we were going to, Jenny and I were going to walk up this, um, this lighthouse, 277 steps. Now, that was only about six months removed from my last radiation treatment with my cancer. And Jenny hadn't walked more than the 16 stairs, I'm pretty sure, that goes up and down in our house in Canal Winchester. But I said, hey, how about if we walk to the top of the lighthouse? And she said, I, I don't know if I can make it. I said, well, I'll help you. I'm pretty sure I can make it. So up we went. And about every 40 or 50 steps, there was a, a little landing and platform that had a little picture, you know, and tell a little bit about the, the lighthouse. And so as we were ascending, we passed a couple of groups, a couple people that were descending. And so Jenny was kind of getting out of breath. And if truth be known, I was getting a little bit out of breath too. <laughs> and so it seemed that as we got closer to the top, that the people coming down, Jenny would say, how much further do we have? because she wasn't counting each of the 277 steps. And they would say, just a little bit further. Well, then we got to what was the next to last platform, and the steps from the last platform to the top of the, of the lighthouse was about 75 steps. And so we kept the track up, we kept track up, kept the track up. And so there was, there was the, the Lord kind of birthed in my spirit as we think about walking with the Lord, if we think about the steps of faith, we have to understand that this progress of faith is a continual walk. And when we want to quit, when the world begins to mold us and shape us and the world begins to just overwhelm us, what we really have to do is just go a little bit further, take another step of faith. 
And so the Lord gave me a little acrostic based on the word of faith. Most of you probably know the most famous acrostic uh, involving the word of faith, forsaking all others I trust in him. And so as the Lord was birthing this sermon in my life, and as I had the uncertainty really toward the end of, of last year with whether or not uh, you know, I would live through this cancer and all that, all that that entails, the Lord just reminded me, hey, your journey's not over. There's a few more steps to take. And if you really think about the picture, what we're really trying to do is we're trying to progress and move upward, move outward, grow inward in our faith walk with the Lord. And so it was out of these uh, things that the Lord was impressing upon my spirit that this sermon, like I say, was birthed in my heart. So I'm going to ask you, if you will, to take uh, your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, this Hall of Fame of Faith, this Hero of Faith chapter that we've become uh, known with over the years. As you're turning there, let me tell you, too, things are going very well at the convention. I've had the joy of serving as your, uh, one of your uh, convention missionaries now for going on uh, 18 years. I can't believe it's been 18 years. They've gone by very, very quickly. Uh, the Evangelism Resource Group is doing well in, nine, er, in 2017. I don't have all the statistics yet for 2018, but in 2017, we were only one of seven states in the United States that showed an increase in baptism, so we praise the Lord for that. We praise the Lord for your partnership, your cooperative program giving, your involvement not only with Metro Columbus, but with us. It allows us to preach the gospel across our state and around the world so that people will give their life and their hearts to Christ. On the foundation side, we're doing very, very well. We're managing a little bit more than $4 million in assets now. One of the things that we were able to do last year is build some partnerships with some of our sister foundations, and we, we built a relationship and a partnership with the Oklahoma Baptist Foundation. And so now uh, the Oklahoma Baptist Foundation allows Ohio churches to borrow money or to have church loans or renovate and uh, relocate and build and all those kind of things. And so in the last year that we've had that partnership, we've been able to help Ohio churches to the tune of about $7.2 million. So we praise the Lord for that. Very competitive interest rate, and most importantly, every fee or every interest that's gained from those loans is 100% reinvested in Southern Baptist work around the country. So we praise the Lord uh, for these partnerships. And so just to give you a snapshot, so greetings from Dr. Kwok and the rest of the team. And uh, I'm sorry that you have to put up with Sam Kelly all the time, but I know how that is. So uh, <laughs> Sam is a great brother and uh, good to hang out all the time with him. He keeps our office exciting and uh, just suffered for Jesus going to Hawaii here uh, an anniversary. Yeah, just uh, so praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for that. So I'm going to ask you if you will to stand in honor of the reading of God's word and be patient with me. It's probably going to take me about five minutes to read this uh, as we go, but uh, you bear with me and then we'll talk about this thing about furthering our faith, taking the steps of our faith. Remember, it's the presence and power of the Holy Spirit that's dictating the words to the writer of Hebrews. So it's the Holy Spirit himself speaking as he writes these words. And this is what he says. Now, faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen, for by it our ancestors were approved. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen has been made from things that are not visible. By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By this he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts and even though he is dead, he still speaks through this. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not experience death, and he was not to be found because God took him away. For prior to his transformation, he was approved, having pleased God. 
Now, without faith, it is impossible to please God, for the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, after being warned about what was not yet seen, in reverence, built an ark to deliver his family. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and went out to a place he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he he strayed or stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of that same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself, when she was barren, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age, since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. And therefore, from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead, came offspring as numerous as the stars of heaven and as innumerable as the grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith without having received the promises But they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they'd been remembering that land they came from, they would have had opportunity to return. But they now aspire to a better land, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He who had received the promise was offering up his unique son, about whom it has been said, in Isaac your seed will will be called. He considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead, from which he also gave him back as an illustration. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, and he worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, as he was nearing the end of his life, mentioned the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. Well, by faith, Moses, after he was born, was hidden by his parents for three months because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they didn't fear the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the short-lived pleasure of sin. For he considered reproach for the sake of the Messiah to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt since he, his attention was on the reward. By faith, he left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger, for he persevered as one who sees him who is invisible. By faith, he instituted the Passover and for the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, they crossed the Red Sea as though they were on dry land. And when the Egyptians attempted to do this, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after being encircled for seven days. And by faith, Rahab the prostitute received the spies in peace and didn't perish with those who disobeyed. And what more can I say, the writer says. Time is too short for me to tell about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, 
quenched the raging of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength after being weak, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Some men were tortured, not accepting release, so that they might gain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, as well as um, bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. All these were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised since God had promised something better for us so that they would not be made perfect without us. It all hinges on the cross of the Lord Jesus. Therefore, the writer says, since we also have such a large crowd of these witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him endured a cross and has despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne." For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading, the hearing, and most importantly, the doing of his word. You may be seated. So if you and I are going to grow in our steps of faith, what do we have to realize? What are the things that we really would be well served to understand so that we can continue growing and maturing in our faith. You know, the Bible speaks volumes about faith. Even in this first verse, it's the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. It's believing God concerning his word, even when you can't see what his word is speaking about. That's faith. That's where the rubber meets the road in our walk with the Lord. And as I thought about this, and I thought about this acrostic that the Lord gave me, I want to just share five simple uh, kind of points and then three truths as we think about faith, furthering our faith, taking these steps of faith. And so no matter where you are, if you just got on with Jesus, meaning you've recently been saved, or maybe you just recently rededicated your life, or maybe you've been walking with the Lord 30, 40, 50, 60 years. You still got to continue to grow in faith. You still got to continue to walk by faith. You still have to continue to live by faith. And so some things I want you to realize, and these are nothing's new under the sun, as Solomon would say. But let me share with you five little thoughts as we think about this word faith. The first thing we have to realize as we walk by faith is we have to realize there is friction. There is friction. Friction can be defined as the res resistance or conflict or the animosity caused by a clash of wills, temperaments, or opinions. As we think about friction, I think about the friction within, and I think about the friction without. Over in Romans chapter 7, as the Apostle Paul was talking about his struggle with what he wanted to do and then didn't do the things that he wanted to do, and then the things that he didn't want to do, he found himself doing he said, I find this work or this law within me that whenever I want to do good, evil is right there with me. You remember what James encouraged us to be understanding of? Don't think that the Lord is tempting you. No, the Lord doesn't tempt. In fact, what happens is 
we have the desire to sin in ourselves, and so when we do sin, it births death within us, and eventually it kills our ability to walk with the Lord because we yield to that temptation, and the temptation most often comes within us, not necessarily from the things that are around us, our own desires. If you remember the Apostle Paul writing over in Galatians chapter 5, he demonstrated the difference between what you do in the acts of the flesh, our mortal bodies, and what we try to do by living by the fruit of the Spirit. And he goes as far as to say we must feed the Spirit, we must oppose the flesh. In fact, he says we must crucify the flesh, meaning we have to kill it. And the only way we can kill it is by walking by God's Spirit. So as I think about friction, I think about the friction that comes from within. And then there's a friction that comes from without. The friction that is caused sometimes uh, when we don't agree with people. Uh, that friction caused sometimes by you know, being diagnosed with cancer or having a relationship that is broken or having a difficulty in a marriage or with a child or with a sibling or with a grandparent or with friends or with coworkers. There's all of these times that friction comes upon us. Sometimes I see the picture of friction uh, in, in bad ways. For example, uh, some of you know that I've been officiating high school basketball for 26 years. And so uh, last night I had a very competitive game, but the JV game before our game got a little out of control because the two schools that were playing are not far from one another, and uh, they don't really like one another. And so as the course of this game progressed, and unfortunately it went to overtime, which means there was more fuel put on the fire, um, but what happened almost toward the end of the game is the friction between having two sets of fans that don't like each other sitting so close. They didn't have stands across the floor. Everybody was sitting on the same side of the floor. And because, unfortunately, the officiating wasn't that good in the JV game, uh, there was an altercation that took, case on, or that took uh, its course on the floor, and then it spilled into the stands and, of course, we were the varsity officials, and one of our varsity officials was a young lady, and she was actually kind of watching the end of the JV game, standing at the door, and she came running to get me, and, and my other partner said, hey, we probably need to go out there and help them intervene in this and calm everything down. So we did, and it took about five minutes to get everything back to, to normal. And then we made the suggestion that, you know, it might be wise, because it's only going to take a couple, three minutes. You probably could cause this friction to subside by opening up the seating on the other side so the two opposing forces wouldn't be right next to one another. There was that friction within, anger about what's going on on the floor, which causes a friction without. Next thing you know, you got people losing their minds over a girls' junior varsity basketball game. Really? I mean, come on. There's a lot more important things than basketball, for goodness sakes. So realize there is friction. Next thing I want you to notice, we think about the letter A, is it also requires action. As we read the chapter, the friction that's taking place within the lives of these folks as they're walking with God displays itself in the action they take based on the words or the commands or the decrees or the invitations that they receive from the Lord. This action requires confidence, and it also requires a variety of outcomes. 
If you think about how the action took place, and just think about action, it's doing something. You know, it's not stagnancy, it's not apathy in a sense of just being mundane and sitting there, but action is in putting things into place and putting things into movement so that you're growing in your faith. And if you think about it, think about what people did. I mean, in action, Abel offered a sacrifice, as did Cain. In action, Noah built an ark. In action, Abraham went on a journey. In action, Moses did some things and then went on a journey and then came back and led the nation of Israel. In action, the nation of Israel uh, followed a pretty... uh, odd battle plan and walking around Jericho for seven days. And so all these things, as they uh, had this friction going on in their faith, they took action. If you remember Blackaby when he wrote Experiencing God, one of the things he said, he said, you know, that God loves us. He desires a personal relationship with us. And then he invites us to join him in his work. And it is that joining that place of friction in our life where we have to decide whether or not we're going to obey him and take action, doing something. And so what we have to do is realize that faith is, is designed for us to move with, grow with, do, rather than just sit there. In other words, your faith will become pretty stagnant if you just sit there and do nothing with it. If you remember when Rick Warren wrote his book many, many years ago uh, called The Purpose Driven Church, he wrote that sometime around 1993, 4, 5, somewhere in there. One of the things that he wrote that has stuck with me all these years is he said, don't allow the sermons, or as you sit there and listen to the pastors and you listen to Greg and and myself as we preach, don't just sit there and soak in the sermons. Because if you don't use them, you'll sour where you sit. Meaning that if you're not putting the Word of God into action in your life, it isn't going to be too long before you're going to become grumbling and complainers about the actual word that we're trying to feed to each and every one of us as we grow in the Lord. And so you got to put your faith into action. And you know what? Sometimes your action is rewarded immediately. Sometimes it is not. A conveying of the story tells us, as we read this chapter, that sometimes God answers quickly. And we praise the Lord for that, don't we? Because most of us are patient when we, we think about waiting on the Lord, you know. Be patient. Wait on the Lord. Well, Lord, I love you, but I don't like to wait. You know, I want what I want, when I want, how I want, and I want it now. The Lord says, well, you know, my timetable is a little bit different from yours. I mean, could you imagine what happened with Moses? So three months, his, his mom and dad hide him. Then he finds himself in Pharaoh's household. He's there for 40 years. He kills an Egyptian taskmaster. God, as he runs... He goes out to Midian. He hangs out there for 40 years. He meets Jethro. He meets his uh, wife. He starts to have children. And then he, he gets looking up on the mountain. He sees this burning bush. And it's kind of burning, but it's not consumed. So he goes up there. He encounters the living God in a real personal way. And then God says, oh, by the way, I want you to go back to Egypt. And so he does that. And so when he's 80 years old, he goes back to Egypt and he becomes the delivery deliverer. And then what's he do for another 40 years? A trip that should have taken about four days turns into a 40-year trip because of disobedience. Somewhere along the way, I would have had to say, God, when's this mess going to end? These people, these stiff-necked people you've given me. God said, yeah, just be a little more patient, Moses, will you? You know, we want things now. Could you imagine what, could you imagine walking with the Lord for 120 years on a promise that he made 120 years ago and not deterring as you do that. That takes faith. That takes commitment. 
So as we think about the friction that takes place, when the friction comes, we struggle, then we have to take action. Next thing I want you to notice is that not only do we take action, but it mandates involvement. In other words, these people, as they expressed their faith, they didn't live their faith on an island. They were always interacting with people, which causes me to ask a question. How involved are you with your community? FBC Grove Board, how involved are you in your community? I would even say, even to take that down a notch, how involved are you in your own community? What are you doing in conjunction with your neighbors, those who live in close proximity to you? What are you doing with your coworkers, those who work in close proximity with you? Or if you have a hobby like mine in officiating, what are you doing with those people that you're interacting with all the time in your hobby? You see, one of the things that I, that I learn and as I read is as I respond to God in faith, he often says, okay, that faith is expressed by getting involved with other people's lives. Bill Hybels, many, many years ago, wrote a, a real simple book called Contagious Christianity. And one of the things he said, if we're going to be contagious around people, is we have to get in close proximity to them. Uh, to use a common term today, we got to get in people's grills up close and personal. And when you do that with people, life gets messy. You hear that? Our lives are messy. There's drama in our own lives. And so oftentimes we don't get involved with others because we're fearful of our involvement in the drama in their lives. But Bible says, listen, you have to do that. Jesus is the great example of that. He consistently and constantly was involved with people. And some of those people were not well-liked. They were not well thought of. Other people didn't want to hang out with them because they were labeled a certain way or they looked a certain way or they talked a certain way or they were from a certain area. And because of that, some people just didn't want to get involved with them. But the encouragement he gives us is get involved. It mandates involvement. You can't be salt and light if you hide the salt and the light underneath the bushel, can we? Jesus said, you shall be my witnesses. Oh, not just in your living room, but you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And if that ain't enough, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And the young Christians, after Jesus was crucified and resurrected, what they did was, because of the persecution that came upon them, they were dispersed. And as they were dispersed, everywhere they went, they got involved with people's lives, preaching and proclaiming the gospel and making a difference where those people were. You know, sometimes we don't uh, get involved with people because of our own sin. You know, I don't know if you've ever looked at that. Have you ever thought uh, who you might measure up to in this chapter? Who would you be related to? Uh, who might you compare yourself to? And the reality is we see these people as heroes, but if you really think about them, they were pretty plain Jane people like you and me. They were people that struggled with their lives, and they didn't allow that to hinder their involvement with the action they took based on the friction that God put in their life by faith. I mean, think about it. Abel, what, uh, offered this. Cain killed, uh, you know, his brother. You think about the things that they took place. I mean, 
Noah got what? What happened to Noah after the, the ark landed? Well, he had a little bit too much to drink, didn't he? So Noah, at least on one occasion we know, got drunk, right? Abraham lied on more than one occasion about who Sarah was in his life. Jacob was a deceiver. Moses was a murderer. The Israelites constantly grumbled. Gideon doubted. David committed adultery and took it to a different degree and even committed murder. Now, if any of us would have done any of those things, chances are we would not want to be involved with other people's lives telling them about the grace and goodness of God, would we? We'd probably shrink back. But it is in those moments that we experience the great grace of God that we have to go and tell people, hey, forgiveness is available to you. Jesus wipes the slate clean. If we'll confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, what? And to cleanse us. You know what? If I were to have a, a chalkboard behind me, uh, if I were to ask you to, to list your sins or I list my sins, I, I probably couldn't contain them on one chalkboard. But in Christ, because of the blood of Christ, no matter how vile or bad one of those things might be, Jesus, by his blood, by his redemption, by his living his life for us, walks over and grabs the eraser and says, sorry, but uh, my father doesn't remember these things because they're covered by my blood. I mean, friends, that's something to rejoice about. And the only way other people can experience that joy is if we get involved with their lives. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, aren't you glad that somebody took the initiative to get involved in your life and lead you to Christ? I am. I'm grateful for a brother who led me to Christ in 1970 and said, hey, man, you're a sinner. <laughs> you need a Savior. And he was correct. I did. And I still do. So it mandates involvement. Then it also necessitates tenacity. Tenacity is the persistence the strength of will, the confident resolve, and the staying power of having relentlessness. It's been said before that when the going gets tough, the tough what? Get going. Well, in a faith walk, it said, well, when the going gets tough, our faith gets going. Do you see those words that are contained there in the verses 33 and following? Now, would you have the tenacity to be sown into? Would you have the tenacity to be beaten, exiled, ridiculed, living in a hole, abandoned? You know, the persecuted, the persecuted church around the world suffers every day. We are so comfortable in America. Now, now our, our persecution and the tenacity we're going to have to have is getting a little bit Stronger because there's some subtle persecution that's taking place now. Uh, it's taking place in the national media. We're hearing about it more and more. I'm pretty positive that pretty soon uh, they're going to take away a housing allowance for a minister and his family. And I'm thinking that coming down the road and coming down the pike, you know the uh, number one area in the world where governments are losing tax money, don't you? It's taxing churches. So it ain't going to be too long before that's going to be uh, taken away, which means you're going to have to start paying property taxes on this property. And then eventually, I think, because of the bigotry that they think we have because we stand by the book, amen, uh, eventually they're probably going to take away our contributions for charitable giving through a church. Those are things coming. And then you're going to have to be tenacious, you're going to have to have tenacity and be tenacious about walking with the Lord. 
The persecution that is taking place around the world is coming to America. It is going to be here soon. And so we have to be firm standing to the end. And what this chapter talks about is just all these people who were tenacious in their faith. And their tenacity allowed them to do what? Conquer, perform, obtain, quench, escape, gain. And they did mighty, mighty works. They had tenacity. But the greatest example of tenacity is not them. After the writer concludes chapter 11, he says, man, look at all these witnesses. Look what they did. Therefore, we got to lay aside this weight, these these sins uh, that entangle us. But what do we do that for? We look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Jesus is the one who is the great example of tenacity and faith. He's the one who willingly went to the cross, predicted it, and said, I'm going to lay my life down, and in three days, I'm going to pick it up again. I got to go to Jerusalem. They're going to turn me over to the chief priests and the elders, and they're going to beat me. They're going to scourge me. They're going to, in essence, murder me. And what Peter said, no, no, not under my watch. That's not going to happen. Oh, you better get behind me, Satan, because it's, it's the things of man that's on your heart, not the things of God. I got to go there. I got to experience these things. But the tenacity to endure the beatings that he endured, and the Bible says he was unrecognizable on the cross. Can you imagine that? I mean, probably one of the worst pictures we see of somebody really getting beat up is the Rocky movies, right? Jesus was worse than that. Worse than that. But yet, at the end, what does he say? (laughs) Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Into your hands I commend my spirit. It is finished. Praise the Lord that it is finished. See, he had tenacity. And because he had tenacity, you and I can. And then the last thing is this. we got to cling to hope. And Jesus is that hope. He's the hope. Uh, as uh, even we read, 1 Peter 1, uh, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorrupted, unfading, kept in heaven for you. I love what it says later on in that chapter in verse 17 and following. I'll paraphrase. Therefore, as we have this great living hope, we have to conduct ourselves with reverence, knowing that we've been redeemed from our empty way of life. And we've been redeemed not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are believers in God who has raised him from the dead, Christ, and has given him glory so that our faith And our hope is in him. What do you hope for? And what are you hoping in today? I would say the ultimate hope is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's that substance of the things hoped for. It's the evidence of the things not seen. My brother Ray has a great picture of this hope. Uh, We didn't know a year ago. uh, It would have been October of... uh, 2017, uh, he was feeling ill in one of our family reunions. I had this spot on my lip that I was trying to make some sense of. And within 30 days, he was diagnosed with stage 3 pancreatic cancer, and I was diagnosed with stage 3 carcinoma uh, cancer. And so we began this walk together, this, 
this uh, battle of faith and this hope in Jesus. And his situation uh, was, and, and even still is, much more dire than mine. When he was diagnosed and the size of the tumor in his pancreas, they gave him, uh, in October of 2017, they gave him a 2% chance, a 2% chance of being alive in October of 2018. And along the process, because he's just a guy of faith and I emulate him greatly, there was a time when he said, you know, I know the Lord's going to heal me. I don't know how he's going to heal me. He may heal me in taking my life and bring me to heaven. That's a healing for me because now I ain't got to struggle with sin. But he might just heal me on earth so that I might be a witness. And so about six months in, he stopped praying for God's healing in his physical life. He really began to pray for the healing of other people in their spiritual life. And he said, listen, just begin to pray not that God would heal my physical body, but that God would allow me to live long enough to see more people come to Christ. And in the last year, he's personally led 38 people to the Lord. And by the way, he's still alive today. In fact, the last time that he called me, we talked to each other a few days ago. I didn't ask him a whole lot about his latest diagnosis. But the last time we talked about his latest diagnosis, he said, oh, by the way, uh, they're now saying that they're going to keep a port in me, and they want to check me, uh, and now they're talking at least two years of life expectancy. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Now, we can say thank you, God, for medicine and all those kind of things, but where was his hope? In life or death, his hope was in Christ. And because of that, God said, well, you know, maybe there's still a few more steps in your journey. And so he and I, as we do what we do, trust in the Lord. So what is faith? It's friction. It's action. It's involvement. It's tenacity. And it's clinging to hope. That is only found in Jesus. Three principles you can draw from this is that the only life that pleases God is a life of faith. It's the only life that pleases God is a life of faith. And faith enables us to see what others can, hear what others can, and do what others can. A great uh, illustration of that is right in your Bible, 2 Kings chapter 6. Elisha and his servant and the Arminian kings getting ready to attack Israel and his servant was all upset that oh there are just so many that are camped around us he goes well there's more encamped for us than them and he he asked God to open up the eyes of his servant and he realizes that the angels of God are encompassed uh, are encompassed around them much greater than the enemies of God were Elijah is another great example of that but it allows us to see what others can't hear what others can't then do what others can't and then if you were to read this and go home and be a good Berean Christian this afternoon, you'll find out that faith approves us, it secures us, it sustains us, it saves us. By grace you are saved through what? Faith, not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not ever uh, something we can boast about. And then maybe say this last thing. One of these days, friends, faith is going to be rewarded. One of these days, we're going to receive a crown. Our works are going to go through the fire. And when we do, we're going to have that crown that we'll lay back at Jesus' feet. And the greatest reward we will receive is not the crown. That's the Lord's. The greatest reward is to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. 
The only way you can hear those words is if you have a personal relationship with Jesus. So I'd ask you to search your heart right now. Do you have that relationship? It's the only thing that guarantees and is the assurity for you of being in his presence through eternity. If not, if you don't have that assurance or you say, you know what, Christianity is just not for me. When it comes time for you to stand before the Lord, God's going to say, that's okay. You had that choice to make. You chose not to have any relationship with me in life. And because of that, now you have no relationship with me throughout eternity. So God just gives people who don't go to heaven what they ask for on earth. I would encourage you to consider the difference in the two places. Heaven a lot better than what hell is going to be. Do you know the Lord? Are you confident? Is your election and your faith secure today? If it's not, when we stand in a minute, we're going to give you an opportunity. Come and profess your, your sin and ask the Lord to forgive you. He will. Your life won't be rosy afterward, but it'll be meaningful, purposeful, and it'll have some, some direction to it, much more than what you can have today. What about you, Christian? How are you doing in your faith? Are you taking some vacations? Are you chilling out? You know what? I've, I've been working as a deacon. Or I've been working as a Sunday school rector for 20, 30 years. You know, it's time for me to rest. Why? <laughs> if you have breath, keep active. You know, one of the things I know about the body, and I'm learning as I get a little bit older about my mind, if I don't exercise it, I lose it. How many of you, how many of you be honest to say this week you walked into a room and then you got there and went, why in the world am I in this room? <laughs> and you don't have to be my age to do that, you know. Faith the same way. You know, you want to exercise your faith. This body uh, won't continue to uh, do well, I guess, uh, and continue to chase boys and girls up and down a, a floor unless I put it to, to work, put it in action, even with cancer, put it in action to do those things. If you're doing well in your faith, are you sharing it with others so they can do well? Are you mentoring someone? Are you investing your life in someone? You see, life's about faith. God gives it. We walk it, and one of these days, Jesus will reward it. So walk by faith, not by sight. Let's pray together.